Hi, and welcome to Behind the Soundcheck, a podcast dedicated to bringing you all of the stories from behind the scenes of the Aussie music industry. I am Tiana, your host, and I suppose it's fitting to extend an extra special welcome today as it is in fact the final episode of the first season of this podcast. Somehow it has now been 10 weeks featuring some utterly astonishing people in and around the music industry. And I don't know about you, but it's been some serious fun to peek beyond the surface of this industry and look a little bit more into the world of some of these amazing players who call the music industry home. As I promised in episode one, no one is a one-trick pony in this wild and wonderful world. And it's been pretty incredible to dive into some of the epic facets that exist within this industry. And while we started off 10 weeks ago chatting about life on the road with Brenton Page from Osaka Punch, today we're coming full circle and returning to a pretty integral part of the music world. Musicians, of course. And we're heading back to Osaka Punch land today too, which for anyone who knows me well will not be the least bit surprised by. So let's get our episode 10 on. Access all areas. Last week, I chatted with Muso Lord Dale Princey, all things music and the everyday, including a little chat about background music, aka Muzak. Well, today we don't have any girl from Impanema, but we do have Mr. Jack Muzak himself, aka Jack Venables, frontman extraordinaire for iconic Brisbane gents Osaka Punch. From the moment I first met Jack in Compulsory University Choir, I always knew this day would come, that I would one day corner him into talking to me about his remarkable music career. I I lie. I was more interested in playing Mario Kart and quoting Anchorman to him back then. Not much changes. But over the years, Jack has cemented his reputation as one of the most dynamic and engaging frontmen in the business throwing shapes and guiding this irreverent and freakishly talented prog machines across multiple headline and highbrow support shows around the country. Equally at home dazzling crowds as he is honing his prominent musical craft, Jack also balances his days with a full-time photography business as well as being a human and owning an adorable puppy. But what series of events led this man to becoming such a creative powerhouse? What really makes the man known as Jack Muzak tick? Grab your backstage passes. We're about to find out. So, Mr. Jack Muzak, what an honour to have you here today with me for my last ever episode of Season 1 of Behind the Soundcheck. Yes, thanks, TT. How you going? Very well. I know, yeah. I I don't have the budget for sound effects, so this is great. I might hire you for Season (laughs) (laughs) 2. So throughout this first series, I have been diving around different facets of the music industry. I've looked at marketing, mixing, and a heap more. And while I have previously touched on the whole touring aspect of band life with your beautiful Osaka Punch bassist, Brenton, no less, I feel that a podcast about the music industry wouldn't be complete without chatting about the real reason this industry even exists. And that is, of course, the musos. And off the back of that good old-fashioned band life, and you are certainly no stranger to these themes, but to begin with, let's jump back a ways just for a moment. How did you end up in the music industry and what series of events led to you becoming frontman extraordinaire for Osaka Punch? <laughs> Good question and well asked. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so I, I started playing music at a young age when I was about eight. I started playing piano and I sort of was on and off and I was... I, you know, I learned a little bit and then I just got sick of doing exams and I taught myself a little bit. And then I'm hit 18, I'd probably played for about five years in total. 
But then I was traveling. I went to Sweden for a year. I was an exchange student in Sweden and went to school there and stuff. And I always thought that I was going to be an actor. So I always wanted to be in the theater and film. But when I when I got back from overseas and I started studying, I kind of kind of realized that acting is all about sort of being someone else and trying to portray someone else. And music is all about just being yourself. And when you're writing your own music, it really is just showing your soul, like bearing your soul and showing what you've got. And there's no there's no hiding, especially when you're the singer because you are the instrument. Mm. And so I started getting a bit more interested in just being more about me than trying to pretend I'm someone else. So I was studying theatre, creative writing and music, which pretty much sums up being the front man of a sucker punch. <laughs> the perfect trifecta. Yeah, it's exactly right. It's like a degree in a sucker punch. Yeah, because it's like I loved being theatrical. I loved writing not just lyrics, but poems, short stories, short films, all that sort of stuff. And then, of course, the music side of it. But the music the music side was more about like the history of music or the what affects this genre had on this social movement. And I was like, that's cool, interesting, but none of it's really teaching me to be a better musician. Mm. And then um, at the time I was living with Crispy, the now guitarist of a Psycho Punch, and we were playing, we played in like three or four bands together. And I've always found that I, I feel like I learned more music by being around better musicians than myself. So just playing with Travis Jenkins, who's like an absolute genius he used to play in the kidney thieves dane who is the drummer from this over psychopaths crispy who's just like taste master mm-hmm. just being around these people and playing with them you just absorb more information than you ever would otherwise because that they, they, they're speaking another language and you have to learn that language or you just sort of dip out and so you're hearing dane talking about doing three other formulas and polyrhythms and stuff and i just learned by surrounding myself with better musicians and then of course just being a lover of music like when you love music so much you just want to be able to do that and when you love performing you're just like oh it's the ultimate combination like, <laughs> like you mean i get to play the thing and also i get to perform in front of people so yeah it was just uh, it was pretty much always going to happen i guess and your energy and charisma as a frontman has become the stuff of legend. I mean, I feel only you could pull off sequin jackets and licking bases and guitars and faces in and amongst vocally <laughs> shredding and crooning. Like, it's not just about the theatrics. Like, you actually have the skills to back it up. And, oh, you know, I have to say that. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I found it interesting what you said. Like, obviously, the whole acting thing really plays into it. Do you feel like... Obviously, the music is a way for you to kind of express yourself personally and bring that authenticity to it. Do you feel like that authenticity carries over into your on-stage shenanigans? Like how much of Jack are we seeing in these Osaka Punch performances? That is like 100% Jack. Like my, me and my usual life is just like 60 to 70% Jack. When I'm, around, when I'm around the home with my girlfriend, I'm a stupid fucking idiot who <laughs> just like does weird little like mating dances with my shoulders if I'm, you know... Kind of turn her on, but knowing it never will work. You know, that sort of stuff. So, like, everything you see on stage, I'm never under the influence. I never have a single drink before I go on stage. I never have a single drug before I go on stage. All I do is drink about three or four litres of water. Mm. And when I get on, it's like 100% me. There's nothing else. And that's what I love so much about it. I think also it's worth mentioning that ever since I was a child, I idolised Jim Carrey. Mm -hmm. So there may or may not be a slice of that influence in there as well. An homage. Uh, yes, exactly. Yes. I don't, I don't want to be Ace Ventura on stage, but, you know, there's certain little dinosaur moves that come out mm-hmm. and, and, and silliness, which is 
hard Jim Carrey. I tried to make it a little bit my own, but that's definitely like ever since I was like nine or ten years old, I wanted to be that that motherfucker. He's he's, a, he's an absolute boss. So I, I like to think that Mike Patton, uh, Freddie Mercury gave me the musical influences, and then Jim Carrey the rest. <laughs> Again, it's the perfect trifecta. You just keep bringing all these perfect elements together. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> And from such a young age, obviously, you've had this passion for what you are now doing. And for many on the outside looking in, the idea of being in a band elevates you to this rock star, godlike status. And of course, the rock and roll lifestyle looks all glamorous and shiny on the surface. Obviously, Osaka have had some huge successes over the years. But as with anything, there is no such thing as an overnight success. From your perspective, do the crazy hours and sacrificial realities of life in a band balance out with the creative and professional highs? Like what actually motivates you to keep going in this mad industry that is music? Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's 100% the moment that you're on stage. It's all entirely worth it. And, and to be honest, like all the hard stuff, like getting up early and getting to the airport, loading all the gear and all that sort of stuff. You know, one day when you're a big band and you've got roadies who are doing that for you and stuff, that's all well and good. But to be honest, I don't actually mind it that much because I'm there with my like best friends anyway. So you sort of like get up and you're tired. You're like, ah, I can't be able to do this. And then you get in the car and you do it. But it's, you know that at the end of the day, reason you're doing it is because you're going to be on stage the next night just mm. playing for like an awesome group of people who love live music so that's really what what drives me and it's obviously 100 percent it's not the money because there is no apparently they do <laughs> and, you know like we've been really fortunate enough to play awesome bands over the past few years butterfly effect cog mammal to name like the most obvious and immediate but even even on those times, Dead Letter Circus as well, you, while you're touring with them, you're talking to them. And even these bands who've been around for ages and they're pumping it and they're working day jobs and they're way more successful than us. You know, and you're like, wow, okay. So even if we get to the point where it's as successful as you, we're still probably going to need to work day jobs. But that doesn't make you give up. We don't do it for that reason. We don't mm. do it for the money at all. And you don't do it for the rock stardom because look, once you're touring with these guys, you you know, everyone's just a human. We're all just normal human beings. Mm. You know what I mean? And even the people that we idolize, like, say, Mike Patton, Brendan Boyd from Incubus and those guys, like, you, I've never met them and I have this sort of image of them. But I know that if I met them, I'd be like, oh, yeah, that's right. You're a human. You know, so you, you might put some up, up up on a pedestal, but then by the time you meet them, you're like, oh, yeah, actually, yeah, you're just a rad, rad person. So I always have that in the back of my mind. Like, after shows, I always want to go out and find CDs and just chat to people and like just meet them because I just like connection. I just like being part of that sort of like that story. Mm. You know? You know, yeah, it's awesome. And <laughs> on that topic of motivation, I guess going more into your creative aspect of being in this band, with regards to your lyric and songwriting in general, what normally inspires you musically? Are there particular catalysts that you draw from regularly or does inspiration just kind of strike in the moment? Yeah, I'd definitely say the latter. Inspiration strikes in the moment. Guiltily, that's probably part of the reason why we take quite a while to write songs because I need that inspiration to strike. I can't just like go, man, I'll just write any old thing and it'll it'll do. Like it has to be something that has some sort of meaning to me. Mm. Um, generally, I would like it to have some sort of social implication or like satirical vibe where you're talking about something you think is kind of fucked up. But at the same time, um, we're not like political we're not rage against the machine you know, we're not the sort of band who's really like talking about issues like that because i feel like you have to practice what you preach and if you're not out there like getting involved and doing it i don't want to just sing about it and be 
I don't know if two faces the word, but I don't, mm. I'm not out there like fully involved in that stuff. And I really like love, I love bands that do that. Like, so Zach Dilaroca from Rage Against the Machine, um, Zeke from Mammal, you know, those guys are like, their lyrics are in it and they're in it as well. And I really mm. appreciate that. But I know I wouldn't want to be fake and like try to pretend that I'm this prophetic guy who's talking about this sort of stuff because I am not. So I just sort of write stuff that's more personal to me, be it relationship stuff or be it just things that I've noticed and like just little side jokes about things that have happened in my life. And yeah, that's generally where I draw from. It's funny. It'll just come out of my subconscious. When you're writing lyrics, you'll start writing a tune or you'll start writing like the melody and then you just let your brain fill words in. And then the words that come, you kind of go, ah, oh, that's what I've been thinking about. <laughs> All right. I realize what I've been thinking about. And you sort of construct lyrics around that. And it's sort of like the lyrics almost write themselves. Yeah. I actually know on a different perspective from that, sometimes I'll be reviewing something and all of a sudden it's on the page, it's written, and I'm like, oh, my God, I, that's exactly what I'm going to say. I don't remember writing it, but it's come out somehow. And now I can move totally. on with my day. <laughs> you, are, you are merely a conduit for which the universe is writing through you. Yeah, it's awesome. it's so weird though, isn't it? Like, I don't know if it's that flow state thing or something, but it's, yeah, it's really yeah. amazing. And I find that the songs that get written quicker are the better ones as well. The ones that you really labor over and you're really trying to make it fit and try and make it work, they never really, they always seem a little bit more forced or clunky. And the ones that just like the first thing you think of, is like the whole lyrics has come out of you. They're always like, oh, they're the best lyrics ever because I don't know. They're just like, it just works. What I was feeling, or maybe there is a higher, higher creative being. It's like, just, I didn't even write it. Maybe it just pushed it out of my mouth. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. There's parts, there's a bit in Actor Breeze, which is the spruiking bit, which mm-hmm. is like where I do this. I had a feeling alone, this whole infomercial section. And I remember like driving in the car. Uh, and it came to me, I was like, ah, oh, this would be a funny thing to do. And word for word, the first things I ever said, word for word, is exactly what it ended up being. No way. It was just like, yeah, I just said it all. And then I was like, oh, that's kind of hilarious. And I pulled <laughs> over, ordered it and said the exact same thing. Are you tired of being, being alone? Want somebody else's face? And then like that ended up being the exact song. And because I didn't have to sit down and think about it too hard, maybe because I was driving too. You know, when you're driving, your mind is preoccupied with the mechanics mm. of what you're doing your it's more your subconscious that gets to be free whereas if you're sitting down without a typewriter or a typewriter because oh, yeah. <laughs> i'm sitting down with a typewriter all the time i'm looking at my <laughs> typewriter right now right <laughs> <laughs> um yeah if, if you're sitting down with a pen and paper like, mm. sometimes having something with mowing the lawn or you're doing something else or doing the dishes and trying to think of the lyrics it can be easier sometimes because yeah. your the mind is your mind is already occupied, which is cool. Yeah, you're writing lyrics. I'm like, ooh, what am I gonna have for dinner? Ooh, did I do my washing? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm a close second, obviously, to being really creative. <laughs> Funnily enough, a lot of the a lot of the early lyrics for our songs were about bacon and eggs and Milo and things that generally like to eat. So maybe ah. <laughs> maybe I was the same thing as you. Ah, I'm on the right path then. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> and. With regards to being in a band, obviously, no matter what job you have, inevitably you do end up having to collaborate with other humans. But throwing all those interpersonal elements in with lack of sleep, touring, and all the other jazz that goes with it, you're kind of occasionally maybe staring down a potential cocktail of conflict. How do you guys go about balancing all the aspects as a group? Do you have a pretty firm process in place with regards to writing, recording, touring that particularly helps you keep things, I don't want to say happy, but like balanced? Yeah, I mean, it's but bands are funny because it's literally like you're in a relationship with four people, three people, or however many, however many people are there. So 
you know, you've got your time management, which is a massive thing. You got to make sure that you're seeing each other enough or not too much so you can hate each other. And then you've got all the creative stuff, which people obviously disagree with and all that sort of stuff. But our, our writing process is kind of cool because each of us can write music. So each of us will come to the table with a riff or an idea. And none of us are so precious that we don't, we wouldn't take ideas and, and things. Very rarely do we come with an entire song. Sometimes we do, but very rarely. So usually it's like I've got a riff that goes into another riff and that just loops. Unless we're just going to loop the same two riffs forever and ever, you guys need to come up with something. Because once you once you get stuck on an idea, it's hard to break out. And so we'll come with something like that, like this riff, and they're like, oh, yeah, that's cool. And then oh, I don't really like that next bit, but what if it did this instead? And so we sort of like, we always have a launch pad. As a, as a band, other bands might be able to do this, but as a band, we can't just jam, write a song together. Mm. All four of us just out of our brains writing a a song from nothing. We always need like a launch pad, but the beauty of it is all four of us uh, have the capability to write that. And then, and then just over the years, we've just learned, you sort of learn the language and how to, how to approach things diplomatically. If you don't like something, we, we can be honest with each other, but you don't have to be a dick about it. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And I, I've also learned something funny. <laughs> I don't know if Dan's going to listen a little bit, Dan, drummer. <laughs> He, I've 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 seen the way that he diplomatically works on like I'll have an idea and if he doesn't like it, it's funny the way he'll word it. He'll be like, "Oh, I think Jack, I think you had another idea. I think I will do this thing you you were talking about last week." And I'm like, "Okay." He'll he'll make it sound like it was my idea in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> like, I I can see what you're doing. But that's fine. Like, whatever. I wouldn't be a fan of the analogy of this way. But he's like, oh, no, no. There was another idea that you had, which was this. And I'm like, sure, if you want to attribute to me, that's fine. <laughs> it's like Inception. <laughs> Inception, yeah, yeah. I know that you think that I think I wrote that, but I know that you know that I wrote that. Yeah, it's just this, like, it's just a way of writing things. So talking about kind of how you guys manoeuvre and how you guys work as a band, obviously you've been around as a band for a while now. But mm-hmm. what advice would you give to bands kind of just starting out that you potentially wish you were given back in the day? Is there anything that you wish you knew? Yeah. Abort! Abort! <laughs> no! <laughs> <laughs> uh, nah. I, I reckon the, the best thing that we've learned, so obviously have confidence in your product and like write what you write what you love and you know write stuff that you know and that's that's something that we didn't learn we just that was just something that we always did so we we always wrote what we loved um but the biggest thing for us was that took us quite a long time like a few like years and years and wasted a lot of time for us was if you need something done that's outside of your skill set or even if it's within your skill set but you don't actually have the time to do it just fucking pay someone who knows how to do it Mm -hmm. to do it for example, film clips, like for years and years when we were the kidney thieves, we were like, we we're going to do our own film clips. We had ideas and we started plotting out things and then, and then they just never eventuated. But then since we went to the UK and got back, we we're like, oh, we need a film clip. Let's get Adrian Golby and pay him an amount of money or Dan MacArthur. Like these guys, they know what they're doing. You ask them how much it is. They say it's this much. So they say it's like three grand and you're like, okay, well, we've got four people. If we just all, or we've got like money from gigs and stuff and we split that up and like, let's say it costs us each 500 bucks each, which is to be honest, you know, like a friggin' big night out sometimes mm. you won't spend that much or, or, you know, you go away for a weekend, you'll spend that. Just forego that, pay the money. And then lo and behold, like a month later, you've got an amazing product. We're like, why didn't we do that from the outset? Mm-hmm. Same with like, 
marketing and, and promotion, like we're always like trying to do it ourselves and emailing people and all sort of stuff. And then like Tim Price came along and was like, oh, I'll, I'll do that for you. And he's like, like how much? He's like, it's this much. Like, cool. Pay the man the money. Mm. And then lo and behold, you've got radio airplay. You've got reviews. It's like, you can't do everything. Like you might think you can do everything. And even if you can, you probably don't have the time to do everything. Yeah. So let people who know what they're doing do their job so you can get on with your job, which is writing awesome music. That's my advice. Yeah, 100%. And that's ultimately, at the end of the day, without the music, are you even a band? So it's a very valid, totally, very valid yeah. point. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. We didn't have anything online for years and years, like no film clips, no nothing. And then since we've been back, like nearly every song from our albums is in some way, shape or form online now, which is just so much better for people to find your music. Yeah. And especially with the, the whole digital thing. I mean, you guys obviously came up, social media was kind of a thing, but now more than ever, you need a presence, you need a personality as a band and you guys have that and then some. So yeah, it's working. <laughs> we try, we try. <laughs> now, a side note before I kind of wrap up the more formal part of this chat, while you are perhaps best known for your musical antics, you also run your own photography company, Don't Say Cheese, in and amongst all this I musical do. mayhem. I do. <laughs> Is it yeah. nice to sometimes switch over to a different creative brain and step away from the music side of things? Yeah, I, I, I'd probably I'd probably see my life the other way because I, I'm a photographer full time and music is more part time for me. So for me, music is it's nice to switch over and get to perform and play music for me because I literally because I run my own business, I can do like between forty and eighty hour weeks. Where I'm just constantly working, especially in wedding season. Like you shoot a wedding that's twelve or fourteen hours, and then that that equates like thirty or forty hours of editing and album design and consultations, and then. They start to stack up and sometimes like I'm just living on my laptop. Yeah. So then it's nice when you're like, oh, I get to play a show and actually like burn some calories and just sweat it out <laughs> hang with my mates. It's really good. But I mean, I'm very fortunate to have a business that I love. Like it's a, it's a creative outlet and it's also something that makes me money. So I'm super, super like happy. I always, I did this because my, because my mum, my dear, amazing mother, whom I love very much, she always said to me, like, if you if you just do what you're good at, do what you love. If you love it, if you love it enough, you'll be good at it. And if you're good at it, people will pay you money. So don't just go and do law because you think you're going to get paid for it because you'll hate it and you'll probably burn out. But if you do something you love, it'll like you'll have have a happy life, which is like sage advice. And I've always taken that. And now to this day, you know, like I just I love my job. I love both my jobs. I love music and I love photography. And yeah, I get to be creative. I get to have a lot of fun. I get to sit in, sit at home in my pajamas mm. instead of dealing with peak hour traffic and edit on my couch. And that is also amazing. Yeah. Amazing advice and living the sweet life, literally. Totally. Hashtag living the sweet life. <laughs> oh, hashtag. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I also have to ask, does this aspect of your life also help bring to life the sensational Osaka press picks? Oh, yes. Yes. Ah. Uh, it used to, like I used to do all of the Osaka Punch press shots, but then I took my own advice and eventually we went, you know what, like setting up a tripod and running back and forth and doing this and doing that isn't that productive and I physically can do it, but it's not as like inspiring. So we ended up just like getting a really good mate who's a really good photographer, Lachlan Douglas, who's like obviously like one of the best music photographers in Brisbane. 
his live photography from live shows is ridiculous and mind-blowing. Check out Lachlan Douglas. I'm sure, I think you know him. Mm. I'm sure you know him. So now we just we just ask him how much, pay him. Lo and behold, you get the product. It gets done. It's just one of those things where when I was doing the photography, we'd put it off. And we'd come up with these grand ideas and think, like, let's do this and let's do that. Although one thing that I am proud of is the the like 70s slash 80s awkward family portrait. That was mine. So amazing. <laughs> yeah, I saw the backdrop, I saw the outfits, and I was like, we're doing this tonight, dudes. And they were like, oh, okay. And then after we did it, they were like, okay, yeah. Well, that was worth it. Yeah. Oh, it's beautiful. I think my my mum saw one of those. I think she wanted a printout in her house. She loved it that much. <laughs> <That's cool. laughs> we'll have to get a signed I can, one. I can arrange that. I can definitely arrange that for her. Oh, Merry Christmas, <laughs> Mum. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. A little calendar. A little calendar for her. That'd be great. Oh, yeah, let's do it. Well, I feel <laughs> like you could whip stories at me all night, but in keeping with my definitely. previous episodes, it is now time for a tiny bit of fun before I bring this episode to a close with a rapid fire round of questions. I'm Ooh, calling okay. this section the sound check sound off. Basically, it's just a lightning round where I ask you a few questions. I won't say quick because I'll probably yep. end up rambling and going on a tangent. But if you can yep, yep. answer as quickly as you can without overthinking your answers. Cool, cool, cool. All right, to begin with, talk me through your first ever Osaka Punch live show or the Kidney Thieves live show as you were known back then. Was it a success and were there any mishaps to report? It was excellent, actually. The first Kidney Thieves one was at the depot in the valley, um, which became Club 299 eventually. And we, we were the Kidney Thieves and we wore like these um, hazmat suits. So we came on stage and because we had a bunch of friends and it was our first show, like everyone showed up. I, I think at that point I was even like, yeah, for the first show, I was actually walking around uni handing out flyers <laughs> for the show. Like to think, I'd, I'd never do that now. I'm way too lazy for that sort of shit now. <laughs> But I remember handing out like kidney thieves flyers to get people to the first show. I'm pretty sure we had like 200 people at the first show, which is nice. amazing for a weird funk metal band. Like, yeah, we, we were very happy with it. And we was hot as fuck because <laughs> we were wearing hazmat, hazmat suits in Brisbane. Bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> I still distinctly remember my first ever gig of yours. It was at the Globe and the only instructions I were given because I was from, living on the Gold Coast and I had to come to Brisbane and all I was told was it's opposite the Dollar Peep show. Oh, perfect. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which one do you go to first, though? That's the question. Oh, God. I know. Like, when, got to... I've got $1. What do I spend it on? <laughs> what do I spend it on? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was definitely a good night. Probably We probably went to yeah. both places. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so next up, the cliche desert island question. Yay. Um, oh, yeah. Hypothetically, you and Osaka Punch are stranded on a desert island with one other band either living or dead for company. Who are you bringing and why? Oh, um, probably Lasuits because we know them and they're brothers and we love them and there's like 12 of them, so you're not going to get sick of them. It's not like a one-man band. Yeah. Yeah, Lasuits are right. They're all awesome motherfuckers. You've got Rob who's going to keep you entertained forever. You've got um, you've got Matt the drummer, who's a personal trainer, so he can keep us fit and keep our nu- nutrition and diet in check. Pretty much every single one of those those people are awesome humans, and I wouldn't want to risk it by saying you know like some famous band and then they end up being dicks because you don't really know what they're like. Mm. So I'm gonna I'm gonna keep it local and go lawsuits. Yeah, it's a very smart move actually. I like the logic there. <laughs> <laughs> Um, now, you have never been one to shy away from dressing up for a gig. I think I've seen everything from the Mighty Boosh to the Wizard of Oz in my day. But Indeed. what item of clothing will Jack Muzak ultimately be remembered for? Are you still chasing an elusive trademark look or do we have anything new to look forward to in 2020 with your wardrobe? Uh, I'm just def- I'm just always on the out for more sequin jackets. Yeah. I've fallen in love with them now. Like 
this was the first found like a nice like a nice cut suit jacket with sequins. I was like, that's my jam, baby. That's yeah. me. It's me from now on. Yeah. It's, not too, it's not too crazy, but it's got the right amount of pizzazz. It's a little bit rock star, but it's mostly just it's mostly just glittery and shine, shines nice. Shiny. And it's a little bit classy <laughs> too. No, a little bit, yeah. yeah just enough. Yeah. yeah, just enough. I definitely bring it down a notch. <laughs> <laughs> it balances it all out. I love it. Totally. <laughs> now, obviously, a heap of people these days know about Osaka Punch, but how would you describe the band in three words if you had to introduce the band to someone who wasn't familiar? Okay. Um, they fun, energetic, funky, yeah, nice. I guess. Yeah. 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 It's very, very wholesome yeah. too. I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't say wholesome. <laughs> that, that, would, that wouldn't be one of my words. <laughs> Plenty of dick and fart jokes going on. So. <laughs> no, that's why, the, that's why you've got the suit jacket. <laughs> now, you are part of a band who spans genres and dance moves like nobody's business, but when you guys are on the road, what songs are making a playlist when you're travelling? Do you guys kind of pick and choose each songs or are there songs you chuck on to specifically annoy the other boys? Oh, yeah, if I'm going to annoy people, I chuck on Mysterious Girl by Peter. Oh, yes. That's definitely made a few a few rounds. Um, usually it's just stuff that we – oh, actually, usually, like, we all listen to different stuff, and there's songs – there's albums we all agree on, like um, Incubus, Science. Um, that, that's, a, that's a given. But then uh, Chris will chuck on some post-rock. Uh, Dane will chuck on some brutal metal, Animals as Leaders, that sort of stuff. Reggie will put on some airy fairy ballerina stuff, and then <laughs> and I'll check on some funky soul or a bit of like funk jazz, uh, like anomaly. So there's there's a there's a massive range of stuff to listen to on tour because you've got so many hours to kill. Yeah. Um, there's definitely no one answer for that, but we all play the role of DJ at some point. Yeah. But yeah, I definitely mysterious girl is my immediate annoyer. Oh, what a tune! Actually, Brenton yeah. keeps sneaking in. Have you heard that Tiffany pop song? He keeps sneaking into all his playlists. No. Oh, my God. He rickrolled the shit out of me. I, I was listening yeah. to this playlist. He's like, oh, you should follow this playlist. It's like, you know, 150 songs, all this heavy stuff. And then out of nowhere, this like 80s hardcore pop, like. Wow. Singer. And he's and I look over and he's there dancing. He knows all the words. Like, this is not just like, oh, my God, what is this? So you're wow. not you're not far I, off with your description. I'm not surprised. It's ballerina, ballerina rock. Ballerina Brenton. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, to finish up the rapid fire round. For when the time comes to cast actors in the Hollywood biopic about Osaka Punch, what actor or actresses will be playing each of you and why? Oh, wow. That's a good question. Uh, obviously, for me, it's Mark Ruffalo. Of course. <laughs> I, have, like, I get told everywhere I go that I look like Mark Ruffalo. Everywhere I go. So it's got to be Mark Ruffalo. Yeah. Uh, is that Hulk, Hulk Mark Ruffalo or Unfortunately, rom- romantic nobody, comedy Mark Ruffalo? Nobody mistakes me for that Mark Ruffalo. <laughs> <No. laughs> it's more Bruce Banner or rom-com Mark Ruffalo. Nice. Uh, I would say Dane, oh, maybe Leo DiCaprio actually. Because, be uh, yeah, he could, he's good looking. He can play a, he could play a bit of a wacko. So <laughs> <laughs> that'd be him. Oh, Crispy. Who's the nicest guy in Hollywood? Who oh, could possibly geez. be as nice as Crispy? Oh, I feel like God. Crispy's too like... pure for Hollywood. Yeah. Who's, who's, who's amazing enough? A great actor, but just genuinely a sweet person. Maybe like Adrian Brody, actually. I feel like he's got a, good, he's got a gentle soul. Yeah. You know, like, um, 
he's, he's, he's a good actor. He can be a prick in um, Grand Budapest Hotel. He's a prick, but I reckon, I reckon he's a gentle soul. Yeah. Um, or or Jason, actually Jason Schwartz. Is Jason Schwartzman? Oh, yes. Yep. In, all, in all of the Wes Anderson movies? Yes. Jason, Jason Schwartzman for Crispy, yep. for sure. Yep. And then for Reggie, The Rock. Oh, done. <laughs> Question yeah, over. Of course. <laughs> massive, <laughs> massive, gorgeous, hilarious. Oh, yep. perfection. Well, I look forward to seeing that movie. Um, that'll totally. be a great time. <laughs> um, <laughs> so to close out each podcast episode, I've been asking each of my guests to share with me a song or a sound that's changed their life, a song or sound or a musical experience that's heavily impacted you, whether it's been professionally or personally, and something that's still significant for you. So, Jack, yeah. what song or sound changed your life? Oh, see, I have, I have two answers for this one, which is more obvious, which doesn't really need any sort of mentioning, which is Bohemian Rhapsody. Of course. The first, the first time I heard it, I was like, that is a perfect song. And the first CD I ever bought was Queen's Greatest Hits. So from a very, very early age, I just was like, yeah, I'm all about this. But in terms of shaping um, the Osaka Punch sound, um, there's a song called Hardball by Estratosphere. So Estratosphere, like like the word stratosphere, but with an E at the start, Hardball, it is like 12 minutes of pure musical genius. It's gypsy, jazz, slash brutal metal, slash funk, slash marching band, New Orleans, with an amazing violin solo in the middle, a ripping sax solo, and like... It's it's a complete journey from start to finish, and every time I listen to it, I'm like, that is near perfection for music, and it covers so much ground musically, and and a lot of the rhythmical sort of ideas in that definitely have come through in Osaka Punch track. So I'm going to say Hardball by Stratosphere. Yeah, so, I I totally yeah. forgot about that band. Actually, you just reminded me. I still remember the first time I heard any of their stuff. Like my brain, I think imploded. Oh man, it's so good. They got a song called King Crab Battle, which sounds like. James Bond, villain, evil lair, followed by getaway car, chase, <laughs> funk. It's just like, it's a beautiful, beautiful album. All that stuff's awesome, but that album is, is immaculate. Get, get, get listening. Yeah. Get listening to it. Yep, that's my night sorted. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Amazing. Well, yeah, it is a treat as always to spend time chatting and it has been such a fun run to watch along the way how far yourself and Osaka Punch have come. But thank you so much for your time and your stories. And I'm especially grateful that you're helping me bring my first podcast season to a close in such spectacular fashion. And Mm. I am extremely excited to see what 2020 is going to bring for you. So thank you, dearest Jack. You are a wonderful human. And thank you for chatting with me. Thanks, Diana. Can I just quickly say that I, I love everything that you write in a sound check. And I'm always so impressed with your wordiness and your geniusness. And when we when we do press releases and stuff, a lot of the times you'll like we'll read some of the interview some of the things from that other people have written and all I've done is copy and paste it in our bio and press release and put it in their website. Whereas you actually take everything, listen to everything and put your own spin on it and we love reading your stuff. So thank you, Jana, for being such a fucking stalwart maniac, excellent lover of music in this industry. You're amazing. Oh, stop it. You're going to make me blush. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're the best. Dude. Thanks, lovely. Pleasure. <laughs> See you soon. Hell yeah. See you, TT. Well, that officially brings us to the end of season one of Behind the Soundcheck. Thank you so much to everyone who has been listening and supporting Behind the Soundcheck. 
It has been a hell of a learning curve and a heck of a lot of fun. And I hope you've enjoyed this little trip into the world of the Australian music industry as much as I have. Thank you isn't quite enough, but sending all of the love to the Osaka Punch Boys for loaning me their killer track, Hall of Shame, for my theme song. And of course, I had to use the non-instrumental version today in honour of my very special guest, Jack Venables, who is, of course, providing the epic vocals on this amazing tune. A huge thank you to my beautiful previous guests as well. Brenton Page, Adrian Golby, Sammy Anshaw, Crispy Town, Chad Ellis, Tanya McMahon, Will Hunter, Mim Steele and Dale Princey. And an extra special shout out must go to Felicity Jane from Sydney Prog Legends Introspect for motivating me to finally do this podcast. If you want to grab a listen to any previous episodes of Behind the Soundcheck, you can hop over to my website, The Soundcheck, which is thesoundcheck.org. And you can also read and listen to more of my ramblings over there too. Yes, I talk this much all the time. Otherwise, you can also search Behind the Soundcheck wherever you normally get your podcast from. And you can feel free to leave a review if you have enjoyed this series. A second series is potentially already on the cards and I would love to hear what you might want to hear for round two. In the meantime, it's been an honour and a pleasure to spend some time in your ears. Thank you so much for tuning in and make sure you go get out there and see some live music this weekend if you can. You shan't regret it and you may actually also catch some of my podcast guests in the wild if you do so. What a treat. Well, that is it from me. Much love. Tiana signing off. Catch you later. I'm really digging, I'm digging deep into the well, aren't I? I'm branching out. Four-part series. (laughs) Yeah, it's actually just a profile. I'm actually your um, unofficial biographer. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Um, But I play all of you in the the biopic. (laughs) (laughs) It's a a one-woman show. Yeah. A history of a psychopath. Yeah, it's going to take about five years to probably film and edit, but it's going to be really (laughs) (laughs) worth That's awesome.